三。Tuning in to Don't Sleep New York, a podcast for the New Yorker who wants to stay up on policy and politics in the city that never sleeps. My name is Arpon, and I'm joined by Matt and Rana Joy. We're three New Yorkers who are trying to become more informed about the inner workings of our city, and we want to take you along for the ride. June 28th, that's the date of the primary election for New York. Well, one of the primary elections. Now, why is that happening? Because of a long, confusing, and incredibly inefficient process known as redistricting. What is redistricting? We'll save that one for another episode. Instead, today's episode is going to focus on the June 28th ballot, where you'll be voting for governor, lieutenant governor, state assembly, and a few other positions depending on where you live. We'll start with some background on the candidates for governor, compare some of their key positions, and discuss the general outlook of the race. So let's get started. I think we can start with the name that probably is the most familiar for folks, Kathy Hochul. She previously served as lieutenant governor under Andrew Cuomo and has been serving as interim governor since his uh, departure on the back of allegations. She's been in office since last summer and she has the most name recognition on the ballot currently. We do have an episode that is dedicated to Kathy Hochul that we recorded last year, uh, a little bit after she actually took over in office. So if you really want to do a deep dive on her background, uh, feel free to go visit episode one of season two. And before we dive into maybe individual policies for each of these candidates, uh, do we want to maybe just touch on where on the political spectrum these three fall to give some context before we jump in? Yeah, absolutely. So Tom Swazi would, I would say, is, is on the conservative side of a Democrat. So he'd be a true centrist across the spectrum, uh, definitely more right-leaning Democrat. Um, Jumani Williams would be as progressive as they get, so far left. And Kathy Hochul would be somewhere in the middle, but leaning a bit more progressive with her recent bills and views. And we'll, we'll dive into those and unpack them as we dive into some of the topics that will be key points for the governor's race. So why don't we start with the hottest topic of late, which is public safety and criminal justice? Sure. So looking at Kathy Hochul and her policies, I think it one thing that you're probably going to hear uh, in some of the lead up is some of Kathy Hochul's history related to this topic. I, I don't think it's entirely fair personally, because I think her positions recently have uh, diverge from this, and it's important to remember the context that she is from Buffalo, which is much different than New York City. Um, but back in her political career in Buffalo, she did receive an A rating from the NRA uh, in 2012, which obviously looks a lot worse um, than it is than uh, than it is today. Yeah, and she's you know she's come out and said that after the the Sandy Hook shooting, she she was convinced to change her her tune on that. And she's even gone so far as to say, you know, other people need to be convinced. And she's the she she uses that almost as a talking point of like, because I've been convinced, I'm the most qualified to convince other people. Um, 
to kind of change their perspectives on on gun rights. She's also backed it with a, a very recent gun bill that she passed through uh, New York Congress earlier this month on gun laws, almost on the back of something that happened in her backyard in Buffalo and Uvalde as well. And this really covers uh, prohibiting the sale of semi-automatic weapons to people under 21, banning body armor, um, as well as closing some critical gun law loopholes and strengthening strengthening some of our red flag laws. So she's really backed her view on here. Yeah. And then the last piece, um, you know, on Hochul's stance on public safety, criminal justice, we touched on this on our episode around bail reform, but um, she pushed through not necessarily reforms, but some changes to bail laws, um, not quite as progressive as what was passed in 2019, uh, but really with a big focus on illegal guns uh, and as they relate to bail um, and and, and uh, multiple time offenders as well, allowing for bail regardless of the actual crime when you're a repeat offender. And I think the last thing worth noting is, is obviously coming out of 2020, particularly in New York, we heard a lot of rhetoric around defunding the police um, Hochul has not taken that position. Um, I don't think she's been obstinately pro-police either. I think she's tried to kind of walk the middle ground there. Um, and we'll get to Jumani Williams shortly, who, who is much more on the side of defund the police. Um, but I do think it's important to just mention where each of the candidates stands specifically on policing, particularly with, with Eric Adams as as mayor of the city. You might remember, you know, when, when Mayor Adams made his public announcement about um, the homeless on the subway and and deploying the police to to kind of go hard on removing the homeless from the subway. Kathy Hochul was standing literally right behind him when he made that announcement. So it, it it's another thing to to kind of recognize that her and Eric Adams, or at least it, it appears she's she supported a lot of Eric Adams' stances on public safety as well. And and kind of sticking to or being in line with. The spectrum, as we shared it before, Tom Swazi is to the right of her. His platform is hard on crime. He's pro, as we mentioned, Eric Adams' policies. He's been backing all of them, especially the policy around stop, question, and frisk, which I question is any different than stop and frisk, really. Arpon, what was the line they mentioned that they would make sure to remember? Oh, they'll, they'll be using tr- working with trained certified officers who quote respect constitutional rights when they do stop question and frisk <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> very 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 corporate document there and swazi was very vocal in the most recent democratic prime uh, primary debate about giving more uh discretion to judges on bail reform, specifically on allowing them to judge dangerousness. So kind of referring back to our episode on that topic, making it vaguer and giving them more subjectivity in order to apply bail to people. Yeah, which is is really the opposite of the direction that New York's York's bail reforms have been trending in. Right. And so then finally, we have uh, Jumani Williams in his position, which, like we mentioned, uh, is far more progressive. So while he's focused on reducing gun violence um, and in probably a more extreme way than than even Kathy Hochul, uh, you would put him along the political lines of some of the defund the police camp. 
um, where he's very focused on the rhetoric around the police being used in many cases where you might prefer a mental health professional or social worker. So diverting funds that currently go to the police. And as a reminder, the police budget in the in New York City is the largest in the country. Um, so diverting budget uh, from there to other avenues that would be better for citizens. Yeah, and the, at least the one thing that he aligns on with Kathy Hochul is on bail reform and not going to add vagaries like dangerousness to it. He's very uh, anti-incarceration. A lot of his plans speak to how we can reduce that population moving forward, which includes ending the war on drugs, uh, dropping low-level charges on all drugs, not just marijuana, which has passed recently. Uh, So to Matt, to your point, it really fits the general progressive rhetoric around policing and criminal justice and fairness for the black and brown community. Yeah, and again, keep in mind, he's currently the public advocate. Um, and so a lot of the purpose of that position can kind of even be reflected in his policies where advocating on, on behalf of the public as he sees it. Yeah, the, the other big topic we wanted to touch on, which has a link into crime and everything else, which is housing and homelessness, which we have again covered in detail um, on our past few episodes. So in that sense, we won't spend too much time on Kathy Hochul because we went really point by point on our five-year, $25 billion housing plan, which our estimation was doesn't really meet the mark as it doesn't, again, target the low 0 to 30 or 0 to 60 AMI families as much. Which, as, as a reminder, is uh, area median, median income. It's It's the calculation used to determine what counts as affordable housing, but also who qualifies for affordable housing. Um, and then if we look, take a look at, at Tom Swasey, uh, I'm chuckling. Wait, 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 wait. Let me take a wild guess. Does he incorporate AMI? <laughs> uh, no, you would be uh, wrong okay. if you thought that Tom Swasey incorporated really much of anything in his housing plan. Um, he's got quite a generic stance uh, as it pertains to what he's included on his campaign website. Um, I, I think it's along the lines of create more affordable housing. You hit it on the head. And uh, his his website is quite a joke. Uh, even on the main page, it doesn't actually have a button for issues or vision. You have to click on the side for more items, and then you'll see vision. It doesn't really feel like he's taking this very seriously. And even within his vision, it looks like a high school outline. So, uh, <laughs> hey, man. I worked yeah, hard yeah, in high school. He's... <laughs> Also, you're forgetting that he's he's tough yeah, on his, crime. His so. slogan is really tough on crime and cut taxes. I guess when you're running on that, there's not much more you need to say, especially in Long Island. <laughs> and then Jamani Williams, uh, also maybe not the most robust housing plan, but the, the general gist there is, as you can you can guess, given his platform, it it's shifting. Uh, money and preference away from private developers and starting to think more about nonprofit development and uh, like community land trusts and uh, you know things along those lines. And again, we we've covered a lot of these topics in in specific on some of our housing episodes. Yeah, it's a uh, it's I mean for his, if I had to give him a critique on his, it would be a lot of words and not a lot of action in there. And I find it really surprising, even especially if you're running a very progressive platform not to specifically call out the affordability of housing that you want to create. And maybe this is just a nitpick that I have and we have here that 
we want politicians to be a bit more specific and maybe that the general populace just needs to see affordability but in my mind affordability doesn't actually link to actual affordable housing for the people in need like we've mentioned many times and and especially for for the i mean this is the governor's race you know and we we covered all of the the mayoral race as well and and i would say a lot of the outlines went into much better specifics uh with the different candidates for for mayor so i agree with you it's a I think his direction is good, but I'm I'm also surprised that he didn't call out some of the specifics that we've heard a lot of his, honestly, colleagues um, call out in, in previous uh, political activities. It almost feels like, to some extent, that the both Tom Swazi and Jumani Williams are resigned that to Kathy Hochul winning. I think we can see that on a lot of layers. Uh, I don't think any of us have seen any type of commercials or anything around campaigns so far in the election. I, I only in the last few weeks received some mailers from Kathy Hochul's campaign. That's about it. I haven't even seen um, at like the farmer's market. I haven't seen anyone canvassing. Uh, haven't received any pamphlets in the mail. Uh, it is kind of surprising. Um, and, you know, we can maybe maybe revisit this at the end of the episode and touch on, on what that means and what some of that some of the reasons we can conjecture around that. Um, but let's let's finish up on, on some of the topics. Regardless of Kathy Hochul's position and, you know, in terms of potential to win, I think it's important that people at least know what the options are going into the ballots. Last, we wanted to touch on other important things that these candidates have mentioned or that people should know about. So on Kathy Hochul, I think one of the more powerful things she's done on top of the gun law that she put in is directing about $35 million to expand capacity and enhance ability to protect women's uh, reproductive rights. So she's been very vocal on this um, with Roe v. Wade presumably being overturned. She's quite acutely focused on protecting uh, the rights of women who come to New York to seek abortion and allow them uh, make New York a safe haven so other law enforcement can't inquire or file lawsuits. A safe a safe harbor yeah, state exactly. for, for women seeking abortion in New York who may not necessarily be from and, New York. And her stance was part of the funding is to do that and also continue to provide services to people who do live in New York and who are eligible for these services in New York. Matt, do you want to kind of talk about some of the potential red flags on Kathy Hochul that we've seen? And I think we called out in our first episode, uh, deep diving her as well. Yeah, we did, but it bears repeating. Um, I think one of the biggest ones, again, she's from Buffalo, and, and you could certainly describe her as one of the political elite of Buffalo. And so she was overseeing the passage of a huge amount of spending um, in order to construct the 1.4 billion dollar new buffalo bills stadium and there's a whole series of debates and even literature on whether um, public taxpayer money should go to funding private sports stadiums and so you could certainly argue that her participating in this is a red flag as far as how she's seeking to kind of earmark things uh, and this is also kind of connected to some other issues around transparency. 
Um, again, we covered this in our episode on her, but her husband is intimately involved in a lot of businesses and local politics and casinos in the Buffalo area. Um, one of her colleagues, I think, who became lieutenant governor after she became governor, Brian Benjamin, was indicted on bribery recently. So there's just a few shady things that have kind of gone on around her political office, not just in the last couple of years, but really throughout her career. Yeah, and I think it's safe to to kind of summarize Kathy Hochul as a continuation or an extension of the Albany political machine that, that we've seen before. Um, that is, you know, it, it, it's hard not to think about corruption being part of that. I think going back to some of the things we've talked about that she's done positively, though, is that she is pushing that envelope a little bit further. The practices and the processes might still be kind of similar to what we've seen before in terms of a lot of closed door decision making. Um, but at least what we're seeing from her is action, right? It's it's kind of these responses to the things going on in the world, like shootings, like Roe v. Wade potentially being overturned uh, and her moving pretty quickly to make bold statements and bold changes in regards to that. So it, it's kind of this balancing act where, you know, we're, we're seeing a little bit more progress and progressiveness coming from the, the governor's office, but the processes are still pretty similar to what we've seen in the past. Yeah, the only other thing I, I'd point out and, and was highlighted in the New York Times um, summary and endorsement of her was her lack of action on the environment. Surprisingly, Andrew Cuomo was quite progressive on that front and set a lot of lofty goals for New York, and so did de Blasio for New York City. And I appreciate she's only been in office for so long, and there have been many other issues for her to tackle, but there hasn't been much movement on environment. And in the debate, she also raised caution to putting congestion tax starting next year, which is obviously environmentally linked and also linked to the funding of the MTA. Cool. Let's talk about our boy Tom Swazi real quick. Um, again, not not too much to, to go on here. Uh, he's running the, a, a platform on tough on crime, tax cuts, and wanting to get rid of corruption in Albany, uh, which is ironic because uh, he's currently being investigated by the House Ethics Committee for potentially violating the Stock Act. Basically, from 2017 to 2020, he made stock trades and didn't report them as he's required to um, per the, the Stock Act, which is basically to, to protect against insider trading happening by members of Congress. So, uh, you know, he's going after corruption, but there's a chance that, you know, it, it's the pot calling the kettle black there. Yeah, and this isn't even chump change. Approximately the total value of his trades were ranging from $3.2 million to $11 million. So uh, this is pretty significant profit he earned if, if he is, in fact, um, viewed as violating the act. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, Jamani Williams, again, to wrap it up, I think if if you get the gist of, of where he sits on the political spectrum, you can almost, you know, throw a dart and, and pick correctly what his stances are on, on certain things. But, you know, he's the progressive candidate. He's He wants to increase minimum wage uh, to $20 an hour in New York City, seventeen fifty in areas outside the city. Uh, he wants to raise taxes on the rich. Um, he wants to offer tax breaks and more incentives to small businesses. He wants to push congestion pricing now, uh, you know, to help the environment and also for that funding that goes towards the MTA. So uh, pretty much, you know, everything you could possibly think of on, on the left progressive de- Democratic side, 
um, Jamadi Williams is standing for. And I think speaking to his credentials um, in terms of uh, as a progressive candidate, he he actually does have a pretty robust history of activism. Um, was a supporter of the Occupy Wall Street movement back in the early 2010s, has been arrested multiple times at different rallies. Uh, I, I do think it's worth, I mean, having you know gone into Kathy Hochul's background as you know a, a Buffalo political elite, I think Jumani Williams' background is certainly more of the on-the-street activism um, going back again over a decade. So I, I do think that's worthy of consideration. Yeah. And while I don't always agree with what the New York Times says, the one criticism they highlighted of Jumani Williams, which is worth bringing, is that a lot of his plans, which is true in, in uh, from his website and his vision, is very New York City-focused, and this position is for the governor of New York State. So his experience for governing everything outside the city is and his experience there is questionable. Yeah, it, it is valid to consider and you know, how is he going to navigate the, the Albany political machine, which Kathy Hochul seems to be an expert at, for better or for worse. Yeah. And then it's worth mentioning, we, earlier we were speaking about, you know, the fact that we haven't seen much political advertising for this campaign, which when you compare it to this time last year for the mayor's race, it's pretty much every other ad on any sort of local news network uh, was around the, the mayor's race. So uh, I think a big part of that is actually just comes down to the amount of money that some of these folks had in their campaign budgets. So Kathy Hochul uh, had a whopping $18.6 million in her campaign war chest um, as of earlier this year. Compare that to Tom Swazi, who had just under $3 million. And compare that, sadly, even further to Jumani Williams, who had, I think, under 200000 I think the number was closer to like $130,000 raised. Um, and so Hochul knowing her, her competitors can't really compete in the the promotional space, plus her having just the name recognition of having been mayor, uh, sorry, having been governor for the last year, it it, it felt like, and I'm sure she feels this way now is that she already kind of won the race. And, you know, now on top of that, with the New York times endorsement, you know, I was joking with, with somebody earlier. I was joking with somebody earlier this week that if I polled 20 people on the street and asked them who's even running for governor, they'd really only be able to name Kathy Hochul. And I, I think that's pretty indicative of, of where this race is going to turn out. Yeah, it, it, it's sad. In, in a time where we really need leadership and New York State can be a leader in America in how we should look at policies and approach problems— uh, we don't really have much choice. It's quite disappointing. To to be clear, I totally agree with you. It's, it's disappointing not because, you know, we're necessarily saying that Kathy Hochul's not the right choice or that Jumani Williams is the right choice or if somebody thinks Tom Swazi's the right choice. Um, it's more about the democratic process that's at play here, right? It, it's the fact that people are going to be heading into the ballots without necessarily a, a strong understanding of the candidates' um and and that's that's very disappointing because it's it's not really letting democracy play out the way it's supposed to. And I think again, comparing it to the mayor's race that we saw last year, which had eight candidates, and maybe that's too many candidates, but it was genuinely competitive, and it did feel like there were a lot of developed platforms all across the spectrum. Uh, and I think ultimately that's that's a good thing, uh, whether or not you like the results at the end of the day. 
um, it was at least a vibrant election with a lot of ideas. And, and I think this election being so non-competitive and almost like an afterthought, again, not that Kathy Hochul is necessarily a bad choice, but for there not to be much of a competitive process, to your point, Ron Joy, you know, I would have liked to see New York have been more of a, a leader in new ideas and discussion and debate and, and a vibrant democratic process. And, and it just doesn't feel like we're seeing that in this race. Yeah, there's no lack of problems to talk about either. So that's our episode for today. We hope this sheds a bit more light on the race for governor and gives you some context before you head to the polls. Even if you're going to vote for Kathy Hochul just because it's the name you recognize and the New York Times gave her their endorsement, at least now, maybe you'll know a bit more about why she might be the right candidate. Even after the first primary this year, Don't Sleep New York will continue recording episodes. So keep up to date with us by following at Don't Sleep NY on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps us help more people like you get informed. The music you heard in this episode was provided by Brooklyn-based artist and producer, Jackery. We'll see you all in a few weeks. Until then, don't sleep.